2: I've gotten a lot of questions about the environment. Did it feel like a spring game? Did it feel like a scrimmage? What was it like to be back at a football stadium again? Let me answer the questions once and for all. It was freaking awesome. Probably the most fun three hours that I've had in a year. I don't think I've ever been that excited, much energy. I mean, I'll tell you this way. We we rehearsed our open on camera. And it was a little eerie, and people had masks on, and it was a little bit quiet. It did feel like a spring game and all that stuff. About 10 minutes passed from rehearsal to the actual live, and I'm receiving the ball from Mike Tirico, which is enough as it is. Mike throws me the ball. I look up. It looks like about another 5,000 people had showed up into the stands to get them to that 15,000 number. And then the Notre Dame band starts playing. And the energy that creates when they crank it up to 10 – It felt like a Notre Dame game day. There may only been 15,000 people in the stands, but those 15,000 people were there to cheer on a week one that they never maybe thought would happen. And it's back. Hey, welcome back to the ND on NBC podcast. Notre Dame is 1-0. and oh. They beat Duke. A lot of people freaking out saying, oh boy, this is not what we thought it was going to be. You know, five across the offensive line are back. Fifth year quarterback. We thought those things were going to be the one thing that Notre Dame could rely on coming into this season. And to those people, I would just say, relax. Just relax. I mean, that, that offensive line took over in the second half of the game. Going back and re-watching it play by play by play. One thing that you notice is that Duke was daring Notre Dame to throw the football. They were just daring them. They're going, you lost your three top wide receivers. We are going to stack this box. Sometimes it was eight people in the box, crashing safety. And that Duke defensive line was underrated now. Chris Rump is a stud. Victor DiMuchegi is a stud. Tengelo right there in the middle is a good player. So they really had a solid front on that Duke defense and a good test, a good warm-up for this Notre Dame offensive line. And I, and I thought they warmed up. You, you know what was interesting is that when Notre Dame switched to three wide receivers, when, when they put McKinley out there, when they put Wilkins out there, when they put Keys out there, and then you can mix in Tommy Tremble, you can mix in Baby Gronk, 87, Michael Mayer. You can mix those guys into formations. You can you know, take Kyron Williams, put him out in the slot, throw him screen passes. I mean, that's where the big play that really got him going was to Kyron Williams, and they put him down at the short side of the field, threw him a jailbreak screen, an awesome block in space by Robert Hainsey, and then a terrific block right on top of that by Kramer, which sprung it. So when you get those athletes in space, and it's, it's clear to me just watching them play for one week that when they put Kyron Williams at receiver, It's not to give him a break. They're putting him at receiver to get him the ball. They're trying to figure out playmakers that they can put out there on the outside and let them win. And they think Kyron Williams is going to be one of those guys. They think Tommy Trimble is going to be one of those guys. I don't care if he's a tight end. I don't care if he's a wide receiver. He is a win matchup player. And so they're going to throw him the football. Michael Mayer, week one, he proved that he is one of those guys. So when you just look at the complexion of this team, it's entirely possible that their three biggest and best playmakers on offense are tight end, tight end running back. And my guess is as play caller, if you're Tommy Reese, you call the game just like that. As good as Kyron Williams was running the football, as good as Chris Tyree was running the football, and they were terrific. I, I think there's no question, Notre Dame has found their two running backs of the future. But with that said, when you play young running backs, they have to be able to pass protect and Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree were bad in pass protection week one. They got Ian Book hit not once, not twice, multiple times throughout the course of that game. Duke would be bringing pressure off the left-hand side. Ian Book would be in the pocket looking right. There's a free runner coming off the left-hand side, and Book is trusting that the back and the offensive line and tight end are going to pick that up, and that free man winds up being the running back's man. And these running backs just did not know where to look or what to do yet. And so then you're getting your fifth-year quarterback hit, and really the guy you cannot get hit, and Ian Book way too often because you're playing young backs that have no clue what they're doing. So that's something to keep an eye on. As great as they are carrying the ball, and they look phenomenal, they have to be able to pass protect. If you want to beat good teams, that has to get better. And you know what they should do? They should hang out with Tommy Tremble. Because Tommy Tremble is one of the baddest run blockers. He is one of the baddest dudes that I have seen playing college football in a long, long time. I told you week one. He reminds me of George Kittle. This guy has a chance to be George Kittle. This is an NFL guy. This is a first-round pick. If he he believes that he's a first-round pick, he can be a first-round pick. You don't find run blockers like him. You don't find guys that can turn around defensive ends. Go get linebackers. I mean... Almost every big run that Notre Dame broke throughout the course of the game, I would rewind the tape, rewind it one more time, and the key pivotal block was 24, Tommy Tremble. He is maybe the most valuable player on this whole offense, and we talk about the offensive line, but the best blocker that I see right now is 24, Tommy Tremble. And this group of receivers just keeps getting more and more thin. Uh, Ben Skoranek. Really had a feeling coming into the season that he was going to be the number one wide receiver until Kevin Austin comes back and proves that he could be that, although we've never seen it yet, in fairness. I thought he would be the number one guy. I mean, he's he's a vet. Sounded like Ian Booker really trusted him. Physical player, gets off the line quick, a little faster than people think. Now he's gone with a hamstring injury, and those can be tricky. Those can take some time to get yourself all the way back to healthy. So now Kevin Austin's gone. Now Ben Skaronik's gone. And you have Wilkins come in, Joe Wilkins, 18, and he looks pretty good. As you go through this period of looking for one or two playmakers at the receiver position you can believe in, I mean, hopefully Lindsay comes back. I don't know what's going on there. But if there's one thing you felt just watching this Notre Dame offense, it's that they lack speed at wide receiver. They don't have any receiver that played in week one that makes the defense feel like they need to scoot back and create a little extra space for everything else you want to do, namely getting the ball to Michael May or getting the ball to Tommy Trimble across the middle in the passing game. They just don't have somebody that makes the safeties think twice right now. And hopefully Lindsey winds up being that guy. They need Lindsey to wind up being that guy. I think Wilkins is going to be rock solid. He's going to be a possession receiver. He understands getting open. He understands coming back to Ian Book. Ian Book wants to scramble and, you know, make not only the play that the defense had to defend first, but also has to defend – Ian Book creating a play, that secondary play that he's able to do so well. Wilkins is great at coming back and getting involved in that. I'd like to see him get 88 Javon McKinley the ball more. We talked about the run blocking with Tommy Tremble. They put him on that short side of the field and ask him to go in there and dig out linebackers, dig out safeties. He's tough as nails. I mean, he just has no issue going in there and creating those situations. And and similarly to Tommy Tremble when he locks on to a defender, they just don't get off very often. I mean, they are, they're stuck. They're stuck like glue. And those those blockers are unique, but but every time they throw him the football, I mean, I think even back to last year, what was it? New, New Mexico game where he broke about five tackles on his way to the end zone, I'm trying to figure out why they don't trust him more in the passing game. And as you go through the early parts of this season and you really don't have many receivers, you're going to have to figure out somebody that you at least pretend to trust. And McKinley seems like a pretty obvious, let's at least give him a chance, kind of a player. So as they try to figure out who a couple of these wide receivers are going to be just to get them through this early stage of the season, we figure why not have Wilkins on, get to know Joe Wilkins a little bit. Seems to have a great personality based on everybody that I talk to, but really haven't met him before. So we figure we'd have him on the podcast, have a conversation, and introduce you to Joe Wilkins. So our next guest is a junior wide receiver, number 18 for those following along. And Joe Wilkins really came on in week one for Notre Dame. So, Joe, take me back,
3: though. What was life like growing up in North Fort Myers, Florida? It was good. It was good. Raised by my mom and my two sisters. Uh, It it was good. It was uh, just, 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 uh, it was fine.
2: (laughs) How did you make your way to football?
3: Uh, always was in sports, and uh, so I played basketball, baseball when I was younger. And then my mom's like, all right, well, you got to pick one because as I got older, and uh, so baseball was too slow for me. I'm not sitting in the outfield, so chose football and stuck with it.
2: When, when did you first realize that this may be something you could be able to do at the next level?
3: Um, probably freshman year, and coincidentally, my first offer was USF. So USF offered me as a freshman. So and then I'm like, wow, like yeah, I I definitely wanna play football and I definitely wanna wanna compete. I offered you as a freshman. How how the hell do you get a scholarship offer as a freshman? Um, so my head coach was Ernest Graham and uh he, he just had connections with a whole bunch of coach being in the uh coaches being in the NFL. So uh uh I forgot who it was. Um I don't think one of the coaches called him and told him that I had an offer. So it was, it was uh, huge. Did you? Did you ever think about going to South Florida? I did. I did. I, I I love Florida. I I didn't didn't know if I wanted to if I wanted to move if I if I wanted to go out go out of the state. But Florida was Florida was uh was big for me. So I I, I was thinking about it. But Notre Dame, I can't pass it up.
2: So so how does a kid from from North Fort Myers, Florida? grow up viewing, thinking about the University of Notre Dame?
3: I didn't, honestly, I didn't really know about it until I got older. And then obviously I got older and then I knew uh, like the education and the tradition. So I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I love it. Yeah, so so give me a little self-evaluation then. You had
2: four catches, 44 yards, your first opportunity to be featured in a Notre Dame offense. Self-evaluation, what did you think?
3: I think I did pretty well. I think I did pretty well. I, I know I, I could have got that, uh, that uh, the, the fade ball towards the end of the game. I was kind of disappointed in myself on that one. But I think I did pretty well coming in and just making the most of what I got.
2: Yeah. And, and so you already have injuries starting to pile up a little bit at wide receiver. Yeah. Ben Skoranek, Kevin Austin, both already hurt. It's obviously unfortunate. Nobody likes to see it. Uh,
3: but how do you have to view opportunity or how do you view this opportunity in unfortunate circumstance? Just just capitalizing you know whenever your number's called, you just gotta stay ready so you don't have to get ready so that's my mindset that's always really been my mindset is stay ready so you don't have to get ready
2: yeah and what's the biggest difference that you see in the offense last year to this year
3: um younger guys really well it's it's better with Ben with the, the grad transfer he brought brought a lot of knowledge a, a a experience because we were young i mean braden Braden obviously did very well last year, he's in my grade, but we're still, well, it's kind of crazy now as young guys, but I'm a junior now. I, I, that's still crazy to me, but just not, not having experience, but still, even with the lack of experience, just gelling together and helping each other out and, and always, always talking to each other, always trying to give each, critique each other and make each other better.
2: What specifically has been taught you, taught the other wide receivers? What has you brought
3: you said it one more time, I, I couldn't hear you. I said what specifically has Ben Skoranek taught you, taught the other receivers? What what has he brought? The the knowledge, man. Like he he he's a big bookworm. Like he's always in the film right after practice. He's on the iPad, always reading coverages and and just his physicality too. He's a great blocker and that's something I definitely need to work on. So with him just seeing him block like I'm I'm like when I see something I'm like all right I, I got to do it. if he does if he goes out here and makes a great block I want to go make a great block Kevin goes out or makes a great catch or somebody goes make a great catch I got to go make a great great catch so feeding off of each other is 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 huge. Well,
2: you were the top three graded run blocker on the entire offense last week. I think you ran right around 90 PF in terms of run blocking. You're getting it done.
3: How do you how do you do that part of your game? Um, that, that's a, really is surprising, like I said, just, just always going in there, like no matter cause if you see the film, you know, I, I came in there a couple of times and didn't win every battle, but just always going in there as wide receivers were not the biggest guys and safeties probably maybe sometimes a little bit bigger than us and linebackers for sure bigger than us, but just having that confidence to always go in there. You're going to, you're not going to, you're not going to win every battle, but just always going in because some people are afraid to block. A lot of wide receivers are scared to block. People don't want to Go in and face that 250 pound linebacker, but my mentality is I don't care how big it is, I'm I'm gonna go in every time, win, lose, or draw. I'm I'm coming, I'm coming.
2: I'm I'm becoming a fan of yours by the time. <laughs> the time. <laughs> how would you describe playing in the new look Notre
3: Dame Stadium? Um, it's awesome. Uh, just the the new look you said. So you know, it's
2: about it's a glass half full at this point. Oh, like.
3: oh, yeah, with that no fan. Yeah, it was it was crazy. It was so crazy because I remember my first my freshman year I came out to eighty thousand Michigan more in the stadium night game. It was insane, crowd crazy. But you no, know, it's just adjusting to the new norms. You know that nothing's normal around here. Verbs, corona testing three times a week. You know we got nothing's normal, but just being able to adjust to, to justin and, and not 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 let the not let the outside or not let any these little things distract us yeah know? what's life like
2: when you step away from the goog when you step away from the football building i mean how different is it
3: um not not that different i'm i'm a pretty relaxed guy i'm a funny guy i don't know if i'm a funny guy but i like to joke around i like to have fun yeah. hang, hang out with my boys play the game i'm a big game me and me and Chase used to be on the game all day, every day. Right after practice, we was on the game. So I'm a big gamer, but a big, big bro guy too. I, lo- I love to hang with my bros.
2: What's the game? What game are we talking about here?
3: Fortnite, Call of Duty. I'm, I'm all on that. I'm, I'm no 2K, no Madden. I'm not with the, no, but with Call of Duty, Fortnite, I'm there.
2: How's your building?
3: Oh, incredible,
2: incredible. Incredible. I got to get your gamer tag. Man. <laughs> We're about to squad up on this one. So, so, who are, so who are some of your best friends on the team? You said you were gaming with Chase Claypool. Yeah. yeah. You, you and Claypool were good buddies. What, what did you learn from
3: Claypool? Blocking. Man, I'm telling you, I, I I need to be a better blocker, and blocking was huge, man. You know, Chase is a big physical bond. He's always knocking people down. So I'm, I'm always just trying to imitate what I see. So blocking for sure and just high pointing the ball, man. You just saw his crazy catch. I, I was watching that. Uh just last night, just high point in the football on on go balls and and blocking is is huge. What were you thinking watching
2: Chase Claypool go make that catch on Monday Night Football?
3: I'm like, it's we. I saw it every day in practice. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, like all the things, like same thing with Kyron, like people it's like a, sh- a shock to the world but I see it every day in practice he's doing the same things Chase was doing that every day in practice so it was it's not a surprise to me it's a surprise that he's making millions of dollars and he's in the NFL now but it, I, I was I was seeing him do that last year and the year before you know
2: yeah, I, I saw it too I, I believe yeah. on that what,
3: what's been your first impression of freshman tight end Michael Mayer oh, beast beast I, I'm on the field and I remember I'm I'm on the other side of the field and I seen him. He made the catch and I didn't even, like. I think maybe saw him out of his peripheral vision and just sidestep. Dude flew and he's still going. And then another one. I think he he had caught a ball. Somebody hit him, broke that tackle, and he's not afraid of contact. Lowered the shoulder on the next dude, beast. And again, he's doing the same thing in practice. So it's awesome.
2: Any nicknames coming about from Mayor yet?
3: Uh, not yet. I think I heard some things circulating on the team, but I I forgot what they were. But I know some people were saying some things.
2: Yeah, I heard some baby Gronk whispers. Yeah,
3: that's what it was, but I didn't want to hype them up too much. (laughs) I love that. Uh, Every
2: quarterback is a little bit unique. So what kind of a ball, how would you describe the ball that Ian
3: Book throws? It's, it's like, it's not too hard. Like a lot of, a lot of quarterbacks always are trying to impress by throwing a perfect spiral and throw it super hard. Ian always like, it's like a, it's, it's, a soft ball. Like it's like a, it's, I don't know. Like, see like the, the one on the sideline, like it was literally just that perfect, like just perfect ball. That's the way he throws perfect balls.
2: Yeah. How, how would you describe just day
3: to day? What Tommy Reese's style as offensive coordinator? Shot taker. He, he's he, explosive plays. He's, He's trying to dial him up. He's trying to doll him up. He's trying to, he's trying to get. He's trying to create one-on-one matchups. He's trying to make people get people their one-on-one matchups, and it's just up to you to make the play.
2: Joe, I, I really appreciate the time. I'm going to be watching that run blocking, and, and I'm going to be <laughs> expecting some Fortnite. I'm going to find you on Instagram. Pleasure uh, get to know you, man. Keep kicking some butt out there. Best of luck. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Take care. You too. You know, it's funny, I think a lot of people, you know, when you're calling a football game, they just assume you show up on Saturday and you go call the game and, and that's it. And then you, you actually do this job and you realize how much you do throughout the course of the week to get ready to call a game. And now every Tuesday I get the chance to go hang out with two players. You know, Notre Dame will give us two players to spend 10-15 minutes with. And it's just become my favorite part of the week. I mean, it is so much fun to be able to hang out with these guys, and learn about them, we'll just pick their brain, tell some stories. And Wilkins is just an absolute pleasure to spend 10 minutes with. So how much fun was that? Uh, speaking of spending 10 minutes with, there's a young Charlie Weiss Jr. coming back to the University of Notre Dame this weekend. I mean, we all remember him holding up the play card, holding up the personnel card over there on the sideline, you know, standing next to his dad when he's on crutches, all of those moments. But now he's grown up, and he's impressive as hell. I mean, even just listening to Coach Scott, who was a longtime Clemson you know, wide receiver coach, recruiting coordinator, on that staff that did so many great things with Dabo Sweeney, now was going to come over and coach South Florida. Hearing the instant impact that Weiss Jr. has made on Coach Scott lets you know that this is a young superstar now. This is a guy that has a chance to be a young star in the coaching ranks and is already showing some of those traits. He's, he even said, he's like – You know, when he's winning Super Bowls one day, we're gonna look back at this and go, we once hired Weiss Jr. to be our offensive coordinator. So it's cool stuff. And I want you guys to be able to hear and feel some of those same qualities about Coach Weiss Jr. yourselves. So we had a conversation with him. And if you don't mind, I'd like to play that right now. So our next guest is the offensive coordinator at South Florida, Charlie Weiss Jr. Charlie, when when was the first time you remembered, I
4: I think I may wanna be a football coach. I think it was, you know, back in the day when my dad was with the Patriots and he had won his first Super Bowl. They had just beat the Rams, huge upset. And uh, I was on the on the field after the game and seeing him lift that trophy up and just being a little kid and being like, dang, this this is a pretty cool thing to do. I think I want to do that one day. So that was probably the first time I remember thinking it. And then uh, just kind of as growing up and, and being around the sport, it was something I always knew that, that I think uh, would be fun to be around. And when you think back on your time at Notre Dame, what were some of the biggest lessons that you've taken with you down the road? I think I, think I learned a lot of lessons, you know, especially from my dad and my family, just about the highs and lows of football. You know, there's going to be really great moments, and there's going to be tough ones as well. So, you know, there's great times, especially in the early years in 05, 06, and seeing the success that we had and, and Brady Quinn and going to Heisman ceremonies and big, big bowl games and all that stuff, and it was just a great, great deal. And then as, you know, the years went on, it didn't go as well. Uh, And eventually, you know, leading to my dad uh, getting let go was obviously some tough times, uh, but definitely some great lessons to learn and and how, um, you know, my dad kept those relationships with a lot of the players. Um, We had our charity in South Bend, Hannah and Friends, and seeing the players come back to uh, see my dad and to help that organization and to be around it. So no matter, you know, good moments, bad moments, uh, those players from all those teams, you know, always were around my dad afterwards and, and helping with things like that and just seeing the positive relationships that can be built from it. Yeah and just in the formation
2: of your childhood because you're, you're trying to grow up at the same time and go through middle school and all these things and, and it's impossible to not be known as the coach's son. So what were some of the biggest challenges
4: that you went through as you tried to grow up to? For sure I mean, it just becomes such a big part of your life and it becomes like your personality of, you know, that, hey, you're just, you know, Charlie Weiss's son. And so, uh, you know, you, you got to form your own way uh, and, you know, become your own person. And so that was something that, that I always had to do and work on. And football was just such a big part of my life um, that it was, you know, hard to, to focus on other areas and, and do different things. Um, but overall, you know, I'm, I'm extremely grateful because it, it opened so many opportunities for myself in the future. And. Help develop me as a coach. And when you now look back at some of those pictures, I was just flipping through and you're holding the signs over there on the
2: sidelines, standing next to your dad when he's on the crutches. So many yeah. of those timeless
4: uh, images. What goes through your head these days? Just, you know, a lot of fun moments, you know, getting to be a kid on the sideline. It was just like those games were everything to me back then, you know, just living and dying by every game. Uh, and, you know, probably, you know, too much, you know, just thinking about everything. But uh, just great times, great opportunities. You know, I can't believe, you know, I was holding up the signs and doing it at a young age and that was crazy, but uh, don't think I messed it up ever. So I think I was all right there, but um, just cool getting to see my my dad work and, and see all that stuff, but good times and bad, but just, you know, great, great memories overall. And then how do you describe what it'll mean when you run
2: back out of that tunnel into Notre Dame Stadium on Saturday and this time as an offensive coordinator?
4: Yeah, I think it'll come a little full circle. You know, it's certainly, you know, that's where I kind of felt like I started, you know, getting my intro to coaching and, and what I wanted to do. Uh, now getting to do it at a big stage is certainly a really cool moment. Uh, it'll be a little weird hearing the fight song and, and not being on that sideline. Uh, but, you know, once the ball gets kicked off, it'll, it'll be a fun game and uh, just looking to do whatever I can do to, to help our team win. I mean, how old
2: were you when you started to, you know, pull out the napkin, pull out the notebook and start to formulate your own offense and what that may look like?
4: (laughs) I think I started pretty young, Um, you know, probably uh, going over after high school or, you know, I was at St. Joe High School right across the street uh, from Notre Dame. So I'd pop right over after uh, school and go over into the football office and bug some of the GAs to to try to learn some things. So probably then. And what did that offense look like then? How has it evolved over the yeah, years? I wasn't very good back then. <laughs> yeah, a little bit better
2: as time gone on. Did you always know you wanted to spread out, have an athletic quarterback, or, or is that just kind of the what you've fallen into now in South Florida?
4: I think I think I kind of fell into that one in my, my upbringing uh, in the coaching world. You know, back then, man, it was all under center and all that stuff.
2: Yeah. And so as you, as you bounced around all these different programs, so many great mentors that you came across – who were some of your favorites and what did you take from them as you went?
4: Yeah, I think everyone, you know, knows my dad and all that. But, you know, the two people that probably had the most was it was Coach Saban and getting that opportunity at Alabama uh, and then Coach Kiffin to uh, the same spot. So I got hired there in 2015, um, and uh, that was after I would finished school at Kansas. I uh, got to Alabama and got to learn from both of them in different regards, you know, getting to learn structure and organization from Coach Saban and how detailed. And um, disciplined he was in that regard, learning recruiting, uh, some of those areas as well. And then also learning the defensive side of the ball, uh, which, you know, certainly is important as an offensive coach to know what the guys on the other side are thinking and doing. So we always uh, had our staff meetings. We watched the tape together. So offensive coaches, defensive coaches, everybody was in there. So it was really cool to learn from him in that way uh, to to hear, hey, you know, this linebacker is supposed to be fitting this gap, so he should do this and that. Uh, so that was really cool. And just seeing how he runs the team and then moving on to Coach Kiffin and his offensive abilities and, and knowledge. Uh, certainly learned so much from him, seeing how, uh, you know, he runs an offense, see how he runs quarterback meetings, seeing how he formulates a game plan and how he operates on game days and calls plays. And why do you think Coach Kiffin decided, hey, I think I'm going to trust this kid, young Charlie?
2: Why am I going to yeah. trust this kid with my offense with so many things that he did over the years?
4: Yeah, it really started, I think, just because I was the breakdown guy when I was at Alabama. So I always watch the tape of the opponents, and I would formulate a scouting report and kind of give my presentation every Sunday to the offensive staff and to Coach, K- Coach Kiffin himself. So I would go through and, you know, hey, here's their defensive calls. Here's what they're teaching these people, uh, anything that I could learn and give to them. And so after I started doing that uh, for a few weeks, as time went on, kind of got more comfortable with it and, you know, started to go from, hey, just not just here's what they do to here's what they do. And, and here's some ways I think that we could attack it. And uh, apparently he was thinking the same things that I was. And he just kind of learned to, you know, give me more, more uh, opportunities with that. And you were what, 24 years old when he names you the offensive
2: coordinator? I, I always yeah. felt like, you know, the age 24 is plenty old enough to right.
4: view that age. And then how have you sort of shifted from 24 to today? Yeah, so. I think because I've been around so many good coaches at such a young age and got my start so young um, that it prepared me for that opportunity. But certainly when I was hired, you know, he knew there was still things for me to learn uh, and to to grow. And so he did a really good job of not just throwing me into the fire and say, you know, boom, here you go, go be an OC uh, without, you know, any help. And he did a really good job of, hey, you're teaching me how to run offensive meetings you know, how to deal with uh, certain issues or how to handle quarterback controversy or, you know, uh, competition, some of those things, uh, you know, how to, how to call the game, you know, hey, start with these plays, you know, get to this if they're going to that. Uh, he did a really good job of, of helping me in those regards. And then as time goes on, you know, with anything, the more you do it, the better uh, that you should get at it. And so, uh, you know, that's where it kind of got into today. The youngest offensive coordinator ever. I mean, how does that resonate with you? I didn't know that, but um, I guess it's, it's pretty cool. I, I'm just I'm so thankful, um, so so blessed to have the people that I've been around, uh, and to be given that opportunity by Coach Giffin himself, and then all the other coaches uh, that I learned from uh, growing up. You know, from my dad to, you know, like I said Coach Saban and, and so many other coaches as well. Yeah, and, and there's plenty of upside, and believe me, I've lived it myself. To having a dad that's you know prominent of in the game of
2: football, but there's an undercurrent to navigate as well. Definitely. How did you think about some of the morons over the years and some of the noise that just inevitably surrounds it?
4: Yeah, I think you just got to block it out, you know, and just, you know, believe in yourself, uh, believe in what you're doing. um, And, you know, just not listen to any of the outside noise. Uh, Control what you can control. Do the things that you can do. Uh, You know, a lot of things that we coach our players to do, you know, we got to take ourselves as well. Uh, So I think that's probably the biggest thing. And when do you feel
2: like the moment was when, you know, people stopped looking at you as Charlie Weiss's son and started
4: respecting you as not only your own man, but your own coach? You know, I'm not sure. You know, maybe for some people it happened, maybe for some others it hasn't. But, you know, I felt like, you know, when we played our bowl game uh, against SMU last season, you know, Coach Kiffin had, had moved on to Ole Miss and, uh, you know, I was kind of on my own for that one and having a really good performance, you know, that day, you know, maybe that that was it for some people, but, um, you know, still gotta gotta earn it and gotta work my way as time goes on. Mm-hmm. In what ways are you different than your old man as a coach? Most people think we're we're quite different, um, but uh, he might be a little bit more uh, old school. Uh, maybe I'm a little bit more new school. Um, you know, I want I don't want to say my dad wasn't positive, but uh, or upbeat or any of that stuff. But uh, we definitely got some some different personalities. Uh, but I feel like you know. He gave me lots of good lessons and, and lots of good teachings to take uh, throughout it. And and the schemes are very different as well. He, he watches the tape and he's like, what are you guys doing? You're not even blocking this guy. And why are you doing that? So different game nowadays, I guess.
2: Does he still give you little notes or little critiques? Or how, how does how do those football conversations go between the two of you these days?
4: I, I normally just call him, you know, every day on my way home or after a game or all that stuff. And he's definitely got plenty of things to say um about you know what we could have done better and all that but uh no he, he does his, he does a good job of staying out of it and giving me good little notes of, of things uh to work on or to improve I've always tried to keep you know with my relationship with my dad to have some football relationship
2: that's a work relationship that I cherish and then also some other relationship where it's just we don't even talk football is Definitely. it the same with you two or how has that played
4: out Oh, yeah. I mean, football is obviously a huge part of your life. And, you know, I think if you don't have a relationship outside of football, you know, it's it just becomes nonstop, nonstop, you know, ball all the time. So uh, we we definitely talk about things outside of life, watch movies together, watch shows together, whatever it may be. Um, so we definitely have plenty, plenty of stuff like that. Any favorite shows or favorite movies? oh I'm trying to remember. Um Man, we, we've watched quite a few. Uh, he loves the old ones. You know, the old Rocky movies, I think, are kind of his favorite um, from from back in the day. So some a lot of times watching those together. Yeah. So, so but you have had and I know you two are different. And I know schematically you're different.
2: Football just continues to evolve. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. the nature of this thing is that it's just constantly evolving. Uh, but what have you taken from having that front row seat to your dad for all those
4: years? I think how he handled quarterbacks is is definitely, you know, in terms of the true football side of things, uh, one way, how he coached them, how he taught them, uh, you know, not just teaching them, you know, their responsibilities, but understanding uh, not just what they're doing, but how it fits into the scheme as a whole. As also knowing defensively what teams are trying to do, uh, how to teach coverages and, and some of those things. So from the football side of things, I think those things still relate, you know, no matter what your scheme is. Uh, you know, getting your quarterbacks to understand your thought process, how you think as a play caller, so they can kind of be ready and kind of anticipate the things that you're going to get to. And then, you know, just from uh, getting the buy in from your players and, you know, getting them to understand the offense and and some of those things um, will, will also stick out.
2: Went, went back and watched your your first game of the season, you know, a couple athletic quarterbacks, you're mixing yeah. them in there. Uh, what's the thought process behind using two quarterbacks in the spread set that
4: you're putting together here? You know, we we got through camp and with the open competition, you know, for the quarterback and those two guys uh, we felt earned, you know, playing time, both of them. So, um, you know, we didn't feel like there was a a drop off from one to the other. So going into the first game, you know, we wanted to give them both a look, uh, see how they performed and see how they did. And I thought they both did a good job uh, with the opportunities that they had. Um, So, you know, we wanted to take the, this, these early games to, to kind of find, you know, who's our guy going to be uh, and, and see how they operate. And, and that number one, that Johnny Ford, looks like Darren Sproles or something to me. He, yeah, he is, yeah
2: he's special. Who, who's the comparison? How do, you, how do
4: you think about his game? Yeah, I think I think Sproles is a great one. Anytime you see a little five six five seven running back. But another one that I had was at FAU, uh, Devin Singletary, who now plays for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, he was a guy that could make you miss in a phone booth uh, you know, motor was a little bit bigger than Johnny is. Um, and so, but Johnny has that same capability of, Hey, you could have an unblocked player, you know, right in the middle and he can make you miss in a tiny little space. Uh, so he's got some special abilities that way.
2: And what, what do you learn year by year as a play caller? What, what, what do you feel like, you know, as you're 24, now you're 25, now you're
4: 26, or now you're 27. What, what starts to shame, change over those years? I think you, you learn from your past mistakes, you know, um, and so from anything that you have in the past, you know, maybe some things that you wish, you know, you could have had back or whatever, and you kind of just keep that as a mental note to in the future, make sure to get that corrected, uh, to do it differently that way. And, um, you know, I think Coach Kiffin and, and Coach Scott as well have done a good job of, you know, helping groom me and, and teach me different things and uh, handled different situations. Uh, so it's just always learning from, from things that have happened in the past. And you
2: mentioned coach Scott. Uh, He of course had the great run with Clemson and that's what gets him this opportunity at South Florida. How far back do you two go and and why why do you think he trusted you with this position?
4: Yeah, not very far. Um, You know, we had one phone conversation. We both played Charlotte last year, uh, him at Clemson and us at FAU. And we had a little conversation, probably 10, 15 minutes just talking football um, and all that stuff. And from that phone conversation, I guess I, I left a memory on him, and I certainly thought he did a great job of, of helping us out. And so uh, after the season, he kind of called me up and came down to interview me in Boca, and um, we had a, a really great conversation. Um, I was just extremely you know, impressed with Clemson's offense and Clemson's culture and all the things that they did and seeing how he wanted to build that down here at South Florida made it super, super promising and super encouraging to me and was something that I wanted to be a part of. Yeah, and as you know, this Notre Dame defense is going to be a little bigger, going to be a little yep. faster.
2: Yeah, uh, really right. <laughs> last week, uh, How does that change the way that you attack or think about attacking as offensive coordinator?
4: I think as an offensive coordinator, you're always trying to get your players in the best possible positions to win. Uh, so that's going to be different game to game. You know, it's definitely going to be different playing the Citadel than uh, playing Notre Dame. You know, there's going to be some, some bigger, faster players out there for sure. And so I've just got to do a good job of getting – Uh, the ball in our guys hands um, in the best way as possible putting our alignment in positions to succeed and so how that looks week to week is going to be different and obviously Notre Dame presents a huge challenge with that they're a great defense any dream jobs as you look down the line here I mean you've
2: played you've been in so many great programs already so many great coaches is
4: there anything that just lingers in the back of your head is just potential future dreams down the line not necessarily. I, I think I've always just been so blessed, you know, to be in the op, uh, the places that I've been and to be, you know, the OC at South Florida uh, under Coach Scott is something like, I mean, I love my job and I love being here. I love our, uh, you know, our culture and everything that we're building. And so I, I really am not focused on anything other than just being the best uh, coach that I can be and being the best coordinator I can be for our players and our coaches here at South Florida. Yeah. You feel like an old 27, by the way? I think so. You know, in terms of the coaching, for sure, being around it for a long time. I look at you as an old
2: 27. Coach, thank you so much it. for your time. Really proud of you. I mean, you, you just you and worked your ass off through the ranks. Uh, and you've earned everything that you've got and will continue to do. So best of luck to you Saturday as you come back home.
4: Thank you very much. And obviously, great job to you, too. I know you, you've you dealt with a lot of the same things. So keep crushing it, man. Yes, sir.
2: So South Florida's 1-0. and Notre Dame is 1-0. and Although this Notre Dame defense may look a little bit different than the Citadel that Charlie Weiss Jr. went up against in week one. So we'll see how that all plays out. As far as the Notre Dame D he will be facing, Ade Ogundeji. Six quarterback pressures he had in week one. Two hits, four hurries. He looks like he's going to become a problem. Looks a little bit thicker than last year. Seems to have put a little bit of weight on. Speaking of putting some weight on, Isaiah Foskey. Fosky looks like Stefan Tuit to me. That is a big, physical-looking defensive end. He had three pressures, three hits, uh, in his first opportunity to really be a featured player in this defense. Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. We got a hint that he may be used a little bit more in blitz situations, a little more third-down opportunities. We saw that in the first week of the season. Just being around NFL scouts, I can tell you he's all over the radar. So Notre Dame against South Florida, it's the one game all year long the damn it freaking computer. It's the one game all year long that goes out of conference for Notre Dame. And what does that look like? I don't know, but the one surprise that you may see just based on watching their game against the Citadel. This team's fast. I mean South Florida as you might guess, this team has a lot of speed. Running back has a lot of speed. They got this guy, Johnny Ford, looks a little bit like Darren Sproles. So there's going to be some speed coming out of that South Florida offense. Two athletic quarterbacks that they'll rotate in. Both can run. Neither really a terrific passer, but um, you know both athletic quarterbacks that can make plays. We will see. Enjoy the game. It is so good to have football back and feel like a bit of a regular game week now getting through that first week hurdle. So grab yourself a beverage. Take your seat on the couch and get ready for some week two football because football season is back. And from this point, it is on.
0: Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference.